I always tell people, when they gave out common sense, runners was not available. Because if we had common sense, we could never be a runner. There is no runner, including me, that have common sense. We run when it's cold, hot, rain, snow, angry, mad, sad. And who else could, no other sport could ever compare to us. And, and I tell everybody, when you look in the mirror, that's your competition. Hello, hello. Welcome to Chill Track Friday. This is Ali. I'm Anne. What is going on? Can I take us back? Where? To my apartment. Oh. (laughs) Where are we? Oh, look around. Oh, no. We have transformed. No, teleported from our studio back into our HQ to your apartment. (laughs) I like calling it HQ. Yeah, CTF HQ. So why are we here, actually? We're here because we did a recording blitz back in September, and we have two episodes that we're taking out of the vault that we've been saving, and we're doing the intro now, a couple months later. They're really great episodes, and we wanted to give everyone a treat of having two episodes to listen to, to binge, while tapering for specifically the New York City Marathon. There are many other marathons going on, but... We live in New York, and <laughs> a lot of our audience is from New York City, and New York City Marathon is the biggest marathon of all the six majors, and so it's kind of a tribute to New York City and all of our friends and people who are running. That is pretty cool. It's coming up. It's um, We're just, just about, by the time this episode releases, we are one week and two days out. Mm-hmm. So if you're going through your tapers, hopefully you enjoy um enjoy listening to this and we're we have a second episode um along along with this but (laughs) oh my god so much has happened yeah like well so much happened in like one weekend the weekend of the chicago marathon was like kind of epic yeah congratulations to all the runners who ran chicago that was the same day same morning when um elliot kipchoge went for the ineos 159 challenge and ran 159.40 we can probably do an episode. Actually, you think it's the same day because you were in a different time zone. <laughs> Never mind. I take it back. Which actually was Saturday, it was Saturday, right? Saturday. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't in a different time zone. I have since <laughs> been in a different time zone, which has totally warped my sense of time. Uh, but yeah, I was actually up 2 a.m. in Vermont watching. That's right. Um, Elliot Kipchoge do that, do that thing. Yeah, I woke up too. It was really exciting. It was kind of incredible. Oh my god. I got emotional. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Like, because he had tried it before. I had watched it live the last time, too. And I remember, and I've seen the Breaking 2 documentary. Highly recommend it to those who are tapering, by the way. The Breaking 2 documentary for his first attempt. Yeah. Really, really good. And um, this time around, he, you know, he shaved off. He was 25 seconds off last time, and he went quite under. Um, So, yeah, no human is limited. Yeah. And then we have a new women's uh, marathon record. Set in Chicago. Yeah. Bridget Koskai. Oh, my God. That was another. She take off over a minute, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 214.04. Wow. That's just really. Yeah. So (laughs) back to back. And also many of our friends PR'd at Chicago. 
So yeah, it was a good day at Chicago. It was really exciting. And then also we had the Staten Island half, and lots of people did really well at that race. It was like that weekend just kept going. <laughs> oh, like just race after race, so much happened. Um, so shall we get into our guest? Oh my God, I am legit excited. I'm I'm legit excited usually anyway, but um, this is this I'm so happy to introduce this guest and uh it's going it's definitely one of my favorite interviews i've done so far um so actually you have an interesting story when you were like first first time introduced to this person can you can you talk about that real quick so today on the podcast we have sid howard who is a legend in the running community not only in new york city but worldwide and i met him a few years ago i was introduced to him by Stuart calderwood I was in the run center actually and Stuart and I were talking about Fifth Avenue Mile and Sid Howard walked in. <laughs> Stuart got so excited. He was like, Oh my god, you have to meet this guy. Come here. This guy's a legend. And he is, and he's so he's just such a wonderful person and really um helpful and endearing and just has so much wisdom and so much experience and he's so funny and just a lovely person. Um so before we introduce him, I just wanna give a few of his credentials because it's He's so humble, I don't know if he would say them himself. So, um, He started running in 1978, and he's been running with Central Park Track Club for 37 years. Uh, he's won national and world championships. He holds six U.S. records. I'll just give you an example of one. In the 65 to 69-year-old age range, he won uh, 219.4 for the 800 meters. That's really fast. Um, he has eight gold world championship medals. And in 2005, Sid was inducted into the USATF Masters Hall of Fame. He's the winner of 10 New York Roadrunner Runner of the Year awards. And he has run the Fifth Avenue Mile 36 times. So he's been running that race every year since its inception. It's pretty incredible. That is amazing. Oh, one more. <laughs> At the age of 60, he ran a 5'11 mile. I love that. Oh my God. All right, let's let's just dive right into his journey. Welcome to the show, Sid. Thank you, Ann and Ali. I don't as I said before, I don't know what I did to deserve this, but <laughs> I really appreciate it. No, uh, as Ali said, we don't know what we did to deserve, to deserve you, but thank you so much for coming. You are a real New York, well, world legend, but particularly locally in our in our city and our group of runners that we know mm-hmm. and we wanted to share you and not only your running talent but also you're just such a funny <laughs> wonderful <laughs> person with so much experience so here we are <laughs> um should we dive in um so i read somewhere that you ran your first marathon without having any food <laughs> you, know, you know because in 1978 i i actually ran um, uh, not only a marathon, I had no idea about anything. I started running in July 1978, October 1978. I ran my first marathon in three months training. And I thought the lighter you were, the better, the faster you'll be. That's, that was my philosophy at that time. Sounds... I mean that we try to get to a racing weight, but you also, yeah, you were thinking during the race as well. Right. <laughs> How did you fare in that one? I actually ran three hundred two point uh, three hundred two six point six. 
<laughs> so uh, I uh, and guess what? And now I said t- uh, that the runners, the old time runners, said, "Sid, just go for enjoying the race." I said, "No way! I'm going to break three hours, not just running." I said, "He said, no. You know, the old timers who's been running, just go to complete the race." So I said, "No." And when I got into the park, at that time it was 130th Street was our entrance. I had 54 minutes to run three miles, and I couldn't do it. I was walking in the park like I was a skeleton, and people was holding out food for their own family. And I grabbed the the orange, and I ate the peelings and everything. I I couldn't believe it. I tried, I was like a skeleton. I walked and I jogged and I walked and I jogged. I couldn't wait to see that finish line, but be that as it may, I said, I'll never run a marathon again. And not even five days later, I said, yeah, I'll try it again. <laughs> so I, I, I'm the same as everybody else. We all have probably experienced that I'll never do it again thing. And I ran eight more. Wow. I think we've had like three guests in a row who have described their first marathon <laughs> saying, I crossed the finish line and said, to hell with this. I'm never doing this again. And then the next day have fired up to see, okay, I think I can run faster than that or do better. Yeah, especially, I mean, just the way that you went into that race. Oh, no, I'm not going to do it just to finish. I'm going to do it to race. You're a real competitor. But, Ann, guess what, Ali? The very next uh, month, they had the New Jersey Marathon, and I said, and we, and at that time we didn't have tights. You know how they wear tights. We used women pantyhose. That's what we used. It was November, so we it was cold, and we used to use. That's how the men wore, uh, kept themselves uh, uh, warm. Wow! And I ran that in three oh three. Too constricting. <laughs> 303, I, so it was the same thing, walk, run, walk, run. That's what I did. Did you eat in that second one? I ate a little bit, but I thought maybe if I eat a little bit, I could be a little more stronger, but it didn't work out. So the first one, you got to mile 23 in 208. I so you had 54 minutes. To do three miles yeah. and Actually, couldn't no, do it. 206, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so you're like to go sub three. Wow. I was I was I was like a dead man walking. Yeah. I was like dead man walking, and I didn't even think in terms of nothing. All I wanted to do was see that finish line, and I was starving. I mean, I had nothing, and I was taking snatching things out of people's hands, and eating it. I mean, when I ate the orange peels, I knew I was in big trouble. <laughs> then, boy. <laughs> oh my gosh! Mm. So. Obviously, you probably weren't recovered for the New Jersey Marathon a month later. When did you have, like, the the race that then became, like, you had the, the perfect amount of training time and kind of the perfect race and did what you wanted? The, the perfect race, <coughs> there was a race in Puerto Rico. Ah. It's 1983. It was for the World Masters Championship. I was 44 years old. The World Masters Championship. I ran the 800 and didn't qualify for the finals. I ran the 1500 and didn't have no, I didn't finish nowhere near the top. 
And so what my friend said, he said, I'm running a marathon, which is a bad state. You know, the Masters World Championships is almost similar to the Olympics for regular people. And I said, I'll run 20 miles with you. I ran 20 miles with this guy, Bob Wright, and guess what he does? He drops out. I run, he drops out. I run the whole race in 246, but I couldn't stop. Because, I mean, I couldn't stop at the, I had to run through the finish line because I wasn't entered legally. Mm-hmm. I only had the 800. So that was my first 246. My second 246 was in New York. I mean, 246.27. And that was without stopping or walking or whatever. But, um. yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you ran 246 in Puerto Rico, but you had been training for the 800 and the 1500 right. meter. <laughs> right, right, right. So what was, oh my and, God. But, and, but you got to remember in those days, I had no idea. You know, what we did, we ran long mm-hmm. on on Saturday. I was with the New York, I was running with, um, Central Park Track Club, mm-hmm. Tuesdays, intervals, Thursdays, tempo runs, Saturday, a long run. Even if I didn't run with them, I ran at home in New Jersey. And sometimes, I, and I used to run with, my first marathon, I have to go back, I used to run with Stu Callawood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what we did? The, the New York Roadrunners was on 63rd Street, Why? And everyone, this is every Wednesday, This we used to run two low loops out 72nd to Riverside Drive and run up to the George Washington Bridge and back, 17 miles. I had never ran more than 17 miles in my whole life to run a marathon. So when they come up, now everybody's got to run a, a specific t- uh, mileage, you know, and that, yeah. To me, it never, it never worked. I never, I'm glad I didn't know it because now everybody's confused and they, they, because you know what happens? They said, according to my friends, gave me this schedule, and I'm scheduled to run a 20 miles today. But I say, you got to realize that was generically written, not individually for you. As a million people got that same schedule. But hey, be that as it may, who am I to tell somebody what to do? That's really interesting to bring, to talk about the difference between training back when you were running these times mm-hmm. and then now, because there are such, I mean, as you mentioned, there are generic plans and then there are ones that are more tailored. Do you think that people are running too many long runs at that, uh, uh, to 20 miles and stuff? It all depends because I, I, don't, I don't go by miles no more, mm-hmm. I go by time. Yeah. And I tell people, well, if you were scheduled to run 20 miles and you ran four hours and a half, you actually ran an hour and a half tearing your body down. But they said, well, I have to run more on that in the marathon. Yeah, but do it once. Mm-hmm. You don't want to train running an hour or an hour and a half or two. Some do five hours. That 18-mile uh, uh, training run we had not long ago, some people did five hours. I said, don't go by the miles. I mean, just go by the time. You don't want to go. You don't want to train more than three hours if you could help it because your body is not going to stand that longer than running three hours. After three hours, then you're going to start tearing down. At least you achieve your objective, but you tore your body down. Right. So. That's a really good point. When you, so for you, 17 was your cap. Every time you trained for a marathon, you've run so many of them, you capped at 17 usually. It, but you had mo- many, many 17s? Is that no, true? we used to run once a week. 
mm-hmm. and uh, at 17, and I and at that time maybe I have did four every week, once a week, mm-hmm. four in a month. Okay, but that was it, and not because I knew that was my cap. Mm-hmm. We I didn't know no better, mm-hmm. and the people that I was running with, we everybody was trying to outdo each other. Some uh, people on the Central Park Track Club, they ran 100 miles a week. And we had a guy named Fritz Mueller, a beautiful runner. I mean, one of my best friends. And he ran 220 at the age of 43 in Boston. Whoa. But he couldn't be, have the American record because he, he, he was born in Germany. And he didn't have an American citizen at that time. But he ran 220 at the age of 43. So... Go go figure that out. Mm-hmm. I could only dream of it. That's the one thing that I am, and we are learning more and more that how everyone is different. You sort mm-hmm. of have to work with them. You have to figure out what works for them is probably not going to work for someone else. Right. Specific workouts, specific layouts of the week. There's so many ways to slice and dice it. How far do you go in a long run? That's a pretty important component. Not everyone will be able to handle, like you said, three hours kind of a cap. Like you right. have to kind of start playing around with other methods to, right. uh, to not just help the body not, not uh, tear down. Ali, you should, I mean, nobody knows when they first start what to do. Everybody, all of us are novice and we just come in and try to get the best information we can get from everybody else. But I always tell people, if, they, when they gave out common sense, runners did not was not available, because if we had common sense, we could never be a runner. There is no runner, including me, that have common sense. We run when it's cold, hot, rain, snow, angry, mad, sad, and who else could? No other sport could ever compare to us. And and I tell everybody, when you look in the mirror, that's your competition. If you could beat that person in the mirror or hang with that person, you're doing a great job. And what do you say to yourself when you can't? <laughs> when you can't, then then you have to uh, go back and reevaluate your whole situation again. Yeah, that's the whole key. Because you, you don't don't compare yourself with other people, mm-hmm. and they do. I mean, John did this, Mary did this. I want to hang out with them today. Yeah, but you got to You don't understand what. A condition they were in you don't know what they have done or whatever and everybody's different mm-hmm. you know we don't have to you don't have to compare yourself with other people in order to be successful just whatever you get and I tell people a lot if you're not in shape don't compete just complete you know just go ahead and enjoy this whatever it is I'm telling you based upon what I had to suffer I mean deal with you don't have any idea. You don't know what you know until you know it. And I'm so happy I'm able to say things to people that might benefit them that I went through. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually learning from my own self, tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you have so much experience. I mean, I, some, I, mean, I just admire you so much for yeah. the longevity of your career, the intensity of your career, but also how you kind of found where your niche is and that right. you've just, I mean, you, you've com- you're you the only person to have completed every Fifth Avenue mile, correct? Yes, <laughs> only one. And can you talk to us a little bit about when you were first invited to participate in the Fifth Avenue mile and a little bit of history because it's an interesting story. Okay, what happened in 1981, they had the elites. 
And two years later, he said, let me let these masters uh, run. And now, and in order to be, be a master uh, to run on Fifth Avenue, you had to actually, you had to go to the, the Great Lawn and qualify. I don't know what happened. They never asked me to qualify, but I ran. I don't know what I did in order for them to say, well, Sid, don't have to even qualify. But I, the first race that I ran, I came in fifth place. I was the oldest runner in that race. I mean, I was, the, it came in, I wasn't the oldest, but the first four people who beat me, they was younger than me. Mm-hmm. And one, and the guy who beat me was, was, was uh, the guy who won the first marathon in the park. <laughs> and he was a great friend of mine. And he did 437, I did 438 my first race. And did you train for that? No, because I, I didn't know. I mean, we was running, I was running marathons at that time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, and that's what the best thing that happened with that. I, my ninth marathon, once I stopped running marathons, I had a base to run track. Mm. That was my, that was the thing that helped me more than anything to have those five years of running nine marathons and building that endurance space up. And then my coach, which was George Wisniewski, he says, if you, and, and my friend who's, a, um, his name is on my team, Frank Handelman, he said, if you want to run a, you can't run a mile and be a, a marathoner. You got to pick one or the other. So I chose mm. a mile. And that was in, after that 83, that was the beginning. Was that was that a hard decision to make, or no? It it, it was until us until I thought about all that suffering that I had in that marathon. <laughs> You're like, I don't think I'll ever have to eat orange peels in a mile. So I, no, fun. no, without a doubt. So you've run every single Fifth Avenue mile since '83. Yeah, thirty-seven. A, yeah, any specific ones that stand out the most? Yeah, the one that I won. My, could you imagine running all these years? At the age of 40, uh, 44, and I didn't win a marathon, uh, uh, Fifth Avenue until I was 60 years old. That's great. Even though I ran 433 in these races, and at the age of 40, I was running and still not coming in first, second, or third. I used to come in second maybe, but never first. Mm-hmm. And the one that stand out more when I was 60, the guy... His name is Faye Bradley. He was one of the great runners in the country, and he's not even a miler. But but I beat him, and he's never run the Fifth Avenue Mile ever after that. <laughs> and he was we, we were this close. We were we were hundreds of a second apart. Wow, that's how close it was. He passed me. I passed him. That is the one that stand out more than any other one. What was your finishing time on that one? Oh, five oh seven. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's hard to summarize your entire history of race planning, but do you? What sort of a race strategy that you give for Fifth Avenue Mile Runner? The Fifth today? Avenue Mile is a strategy that I always tell anyone that I can. The first quarter of a mile is slightly downhill. Let everybody pull; they're gonna go crazy because it's Fifth Avenue. They don't know. The second quarter of a mile is slightly uphill. The last 800 meters, 
you could actually see the finish line. It's like fool's goal, you know. You're going to try to get there before you, and you're going to put something in. Just take your time because you get to 65th Street, you still got almost five blocks to go, and if you don't have anything, you, you, you gave it all up. And, yeah. and so many people have had that experience. They know exactly. And I, I had did it so much, so I know what to expect. Yeah. So that has helped me. But that's the experience alone. You can really crash and burn in the mile if you don't run it properly. Oh, without a doubt. The, the first quarter mile, that's it. Yeah. It's almost like the marathon. The first mile in Verrazano Bridge, in my days, everybody's trying to, they was going too slow. So they pass them and pass them. They go down fast, and the whole marathon is, that's where my whole marathon was messed up, right mm-hmm. there. On Verrazano Bridge, if you don't pay attention to that first mile that you want to get around everybody, instead of running in a straight line, some people run up on the edge, you know, just to get around. I was one of those people, so <laughs> that's why I would, and you don't know any better. Yeah. And this is what happened. But this is some of the things that with the Fifth Avenue mile, you have to pace yourself properly or you're going to have big trouble at the end. Yeah. I love your analogy. Or like the, not analogy, sorry. The comparison between the marathon and the mile, you're, right? It's just extended out. That's it. Right. right. Within, but your strategy is the same. Like, don't burn yourself. For that first quarter. Yeah, if you, if you don't want to be eating orange peels. That's late in right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are no fluid stations in the mile. No, no, no. <laughs> when you were doing like the height of your mile training, what sort of weekly volume would you get up to as a miler? Probably 40, okay. 40 miles. I, anytime I try, try to go over 40 miles, I'd be in big trouble. And you know that I actually, with another friend of mine, his name is Randy Lowe. We were crazy, both of us. I actually ran 40, I mean 91 miles in one week. After that week, I couldn't, I, the next one was 60. After that, I couldn't get past 40. Mm-hmm. I had just, it wasn't me. I mean, some people are made for long distance. I had to find out the hard way. No, Sid, this is not your distance. And this is not your training. My training was basically Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And Tuesday was always interval. Thursday was in the park. We did Fort Lake or Temple. Mm -hmm. Saturday, because I had a dog at that time, so I had to take him out in the morning and at night. That helped me more. I have to give him credit. His name was Asa. The first nine years of my running, he gets the credit for me running morning and night. Oh, that's wonderful. What kind of dog was he? A German Shepherd, a oh. white German Shepherd. And to make, uh, to, uh, to make that story more interesting, my, um, my daughter, gave, she was in Kane University over in New Jersey, and my son uh, had a friend who worked in a gas station, gave her the dog, and the landlord said, no, you can't have a dog in this apartment. So she said, Dad, could you take the dog? I said, yeah, but it's going to be my dog. <laughs> and she, lived in, she lives in Bermuda. She, she married someone from Bermuda. Every year she comes home, the dog goes crazy because they don't forget no smell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once they get that, you're you, 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 you in good shape forever. So that dog lasted nine years with me. In the morning, he's running, and in the, in the evening, when I come home, he's running. Wow. So even though it was only two or three miles, it was good. That's beautiful. Yeah. You have run in five world championships? No, I ran in 
more than that, more than five. I got eight world uh, championships medals, but three of those championships, I won both the, the eight and the 15. Okay. One thing that I had for the world championships, I ran in the first ever indoor Masters World Championships in Sindelfinger, uh, Germany, 1983. Okay. That was the first one, and I didn't run no more. I was really, they beat me up real good in that one. I never even qualified for the, for the that's the one I ran that 20-miler, <laughs> and I kept running. I ran the whole marathon, and I didn't run again. I turned 50 in 1989, and, in, and when I turned eight, 1989, I went to Eugene, Oregon, and that was my second one. But I didn't finish in the in a fourth or fifth or whatever. But I won the the semis and I pulled the uh, hammy. I don't know if even if I didn't pull it, I don't know if I would have been competitive then at all. But I I was building at that time. Wow. What's it like to be in that environment and at that level? From like if we could if you could tell it from like Sid's eyes being there. Well, when I went to. Um, Eugene, Oregon, they had about 90 countries. Mm-hmm. And then you learn about the culture of other countries, especially if you go into the chow hall and they didn't visit the shower or whatever. You know, you find out it's not a, a, a put down or anything, but a lot, of, a lot of countries have different ways of how they express themselves in, in different ways. I couldn't even, just for me to be in an environment like that, that I'm going to be here with people from all of Europe, uh, South America, Africa. I mean, it, and, and to be in, in there and just running against these people. Even though at that time, I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't able to make my mark there like I did at a later time. But the experience was everlasting. I mean, I couldn't believe. Here I am. We're in our 40s and 50s. And they're giving us the opportunity to do what the, the elite runners do. And we, we and believe me, all the friends you make, they don't even think in terms of, I gotta beat you or beat him. I, we think about camaraderie. We are friends and we got this, so much in common because we at this age and we are able to still compete. That's how I think about that. That's what was my feeling. That's beautiful, I love mm. that, the camaraderie of it. Yes. It is, it is a really special club, runners. And then when you get to the particular distance that you like, it just gets smaller and smaller, and right. it becomes a family. Yeah. And not only that, but see, when you go to these uh, Masters races nationally or world, everybody knows who is who. You know your competition. And nobody, nobody ever want to have a four after they age or a nine after they age. They want to have a five after they age or a zero after they age because you're going to have trouble. Because you, every year as you get older, the competition gets stiffer. And even if it's only one year different, somebody's got the advantage on you if they just turn to that new. Right. Not only with the age, but it's the fact that you did it. It's the, I think it's the fact that you know you just changed it to a new age group. It, gives you, it spurs you on. It gives you more, more energy. Yeah, I'm going to do something this year. It's true. You get like the fresh slate. You're the youngest That's in the right. group. Let's right. roll. I felt that way when I turned 40, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into running? Oh, yeah. Start? Yeah. Well, actually, I started in high school. And I was, uh, 
uh, probably weighed about maybe 9,900 pounds, maybe 110. And I went out for football in the culture. Yeah, you could be a good manager, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And my friend that I grew up with, my ABC friend named Larry St. Clair, we grew up together. When I say ABC, that means we were friends in the kindergarten all the way up. And his brother ran cross country. He said, Sid, let's go out for cross country. And you, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know how to, ex- to explain anything, but it's, it's, it's like whoever could hold they, they, they breath the longest is something. I mean, I'm running cross country. <laughs> so he said, you, you just don't get tired. You just keep going. So what I did was I went out with him. I trained with, with, with and this was Thomas Jefferson High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was or what, what talent did I have. The first race, the first two guys was from my school. They were seniors, and I was the third guy. And I guess every since, I mean, from that alone, I found out that I, I had I had. I had skills. I had a, that I didn't never. If you would have asked me before I did that, you want to be a runner? I don't know. I, I played every sport as a kid. We played handball, stickball, uh, football, soccer, the whole thing back. Because in my neighborhood, Ali, when I came up in the 50s and 40s, we, we didn't have, we, the diversity was right there. We had people that lived in our neighborhood. And everybody had the same thing. You know what we had? Nothing. We all was poor. We were <laughs> we all was from the ghetto. Mm-hmm. You could eat at everybody, white, black, or whatever. I didn't have at that time, you could nobody had locks on their doors. I mean it's a different story, obviously now. Mm-hmm. You always find somebody say, Hey Mrs. Howard, my mother said you got an egg? Do you have any sugar? Or what this is how the neighbors were. So this is how I came up. But when I went to school and found out that first race, that I was able to have that, I didn't even get tired or anything like that. So that was, in my school, we didn't have freshmen. We started in the 10th grade. The next year, on the 11th grade, I, the other two seniors, they, I became the number one runner. I became the number one runner in cross country and in the mile. And I also became the number one clown. Ali, could you imagine? How could you fail Woodshop? There is nobody in the history of the world failed Woodshop. I failed Woodshop in math. And the coach says, Sid, you don't even have a C average. You can't even. And you know, I figured, hey, I'm number one. The coach is going to pull his trick. Not realize this is a state law. You know, that's how, you know how. Mm-hmm. Ignorant kids are. That's all I was. And, and he says, well, you have to go to uh, summer school. Hey, and I failed general math. And I failed woodshop. And he says, well, you're going to have to. And, they, and guess what they was offering for, for math? For, I mean, algebra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm failed. How am I going to pass that? He says, don't worry. My friend who I came up with, Larry, he was a nerd. He knew everything. He said, he's going to help you. And I was too afraid. That was in, guess, in September. I told my father, I'm going to join the Air Force. He said, you're going to wait till you're 18 to join. I never went to school in September. 
And October, I brought the recruiting sergeant to the house. He said, you want to go that bad? He signed me in at the age of 17. At the age of 17, I'm in the Air Force now. I had no idea. I, I just I, I, I didn't want to take a chance to, to go to that summer school and not be able to understand it. But Ali, check this out. 1947, I was eight years old. My biggest problem was when they took one number and fractured it, made five, you know, like five pieces. One, that's one fifth, you know, that's two fifths, and whatever. I, I was so, I didn't want the my my uh, people in the school in the third and fourth to say I didn't want to ask a question. It sound like I don't know nothing, and they said the only question that dumb is the one you don't ask, you know, and that that was it. So, but when Jack, when I learned about Jackie Roberts, if he got up at four times and he got two hits, he was batting 500. I could figure that out. And, and I figured if he got one hit, he was batting, he was batting two fifths. I could figure these things out. But if the teacher could have made that connection with me, I wouldn't be talking to you, so I'm glad she didn't. That's amazing. Because yeah. I was going to say, actually, there is a lot of math in track work. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful story. Wow. And that and 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 how I got started with with the masters running, I my my son came home one day. I used to take those guys. I they had paper route. I used to take them maybe, and then we uh, have a race maybe forty meters after we eat breakfast. And he came one day. We he came home. I came home. He said, Dad, they got a race for old men at the high school. You have to be. Th I was thirty nine. And he says, you got to write it. And it was a mile in Plainfield, New Jersey, called the Larson Brown Invitational. And I ran that race. I ran a 505 at the age of 39.6. And then I found out that they had other races for people my age. I didn't even know they had that for people out of school. But that's, that's what, how I got started in three months. That was July the 20th. October, I ran my first marathon. And the rest, I just kept going. Wow. That was it. And I did it on three weeks of training at 5.05. I started in July, and three weeks later, I ran that, that race. And um, I, I didn't know they had this. Then I had so many masters that was in that race saying, shit, they got this for us, this and that. And I traveled everywhere to run. Mm -hmm. What did you do in those three weeks? Do you remember? For training, yeah, <laughs> a crash course, just interval, just like yeah, quarters, quarters, mm -hmm. yeah, no eight hundreds, no two hundreds, didn't know anything because I didn't have no experience. I only went to school for a year, just say two two small years, and and mainly I was a cross country, and we had track. I ran the mile. My best mile in high school was four forty eight, so I I eclipsed that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I eclipsed that. My best 800 was 203. I beat that when I was 47 as well. So I, I covered all of that. Be yeah. 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 Speaking of the 800, at 65 to 69, you ran a 219 for the 800. Right. I ran 219. In fact, when, when I was, when I was uh, 60, I ran 212 outdoor, 214, which broke the world record. Mm -hmm. And then I... At 65, I ran 219, and at 70, I ran 233, which mm -hmm. at that time, I held three uh, three American records at that one time. 
Actually, I, I want to dive deeper into that, but I don't want to miss this. I want to go back to your school story for a second. Okay. Like, did you go back to school at some point later? Oh, yeah. man, that's a good story. I'm glad you asked. At the age of 59, at the age of 59, I graduated with a BSW from Kane University. I'm a social worker. Amazing. I'll it's just, wonderful. I have nothing else to add to that because <laughs> that's just beautiful. A um, couple of things to that. I think that, that's, right. so, that's so inspiring to me. And so you, what spurred the decision to go back and what was the reasoning for social work? Well, what, what was the reasons? I, I, in 1970, I had, a, I, I started a company called Superfast Deliveries. And guess one of the customers was Random House. We delivered messenger. We did packages. And so, were you running them like at 219, 800 pace? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. But you know what I used to do, Ali? At that time, you could park Fifth Avenue was two-way street. Could you imagine before you guys was born, maybe? But that was a long time. But anyway, I used to park in one spot and run to, to I mean, Rockefeller Center, 444 Madison, Newsweek. I used to... I used to actually get like four or five or six packages and run, and not realizing how this is going to be. I wasn't a run, I wasn't mm -hmm. thinking about running, and but it definitely helped me tremendously. And and that is th this is how I actually got into it. So the lady, I used to take manuscripts to people to read for uh, for Random House. Mm -hmm. One day I I used to go to Riverdale from uh, from Fiftieth Street, take a manuscript. And the lady said one day, she said, Sid, could you wait? I didn't get a chance to read it. And then she used to ask me, did you go to school, the whole thing? And she says, why don't you go back to school? And guess what, Ali? I had still the GI Bill of Rights, which, the GI, not Bill of Rights, but the GI Bill, which means I could, as a veteran, you could go to school for nothing. They paid him. And she kept, she kept encouraging me. And I said, what, at that time, I went to Union College. You didn't even have to take a test because I don't know, it was open enrollment. I don't know if you have, hey, you guys too young to know. They had open enrollment. So you could, I, I went there, I signed up. The Air Force, I mean the government paid you to go to school, paid for your books. They paid you, they give you a check. They paid for your, your t tuition. I was able to get in there before they cut it off completely. The rest of the time, it took me 14 and a half years at night to graduate, going at night. Wow. So I was, I was determined. I, what happens, I, I started early. I, I went to school from, I think it was 74 to 81, and I stopped. And, I, and they said, if, if you stop for 10 years, you're going to lose all that credit, which was not true. So I went back, and it, everything added up to 14 and a half years at night. And I never would ever take three uh, uh, classes ever again. I took it one time, nine credit. I died and died. Never, never again, especially when you're working and you got a family and you got to go to school at night. 
but I enjoyed it. I was the oldest people in all the classes. They they enjoyed me being it because I used when I had psychology class, I, I used to ask one of those dumb questions like if the tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? You know, so I I didn't say that specifically, but I used to ask questions that provoked you know, mm-hmm. made people have more conversations and more questions. So that's where I was. You're a discourse starter. Yeah. I love yeah. That. <laughs> it's a wonderful example of how when we're in certain phases of our lives and we make decisions, we don't know how or what's going to come about and how things will eventually come full circle. And thank goodness that you had signed up for the Air Force and then it allowed you to then later go back and get an education to finish. Not only that, but it even helped me get a house, no down payment. Amazing. Now here's a guy, here's a kid, little snotty nose little boy, born in Elizabeth, New Jersey, coming up. Had no <laughs> idea. We, we had like... Ten brothers and sisters in two bedrooms. What? I mean, some of them was older, so they moved out. But who could have imagined how I could grow and have something that one day I could look back on and say, man, what happened in those days It made me who I am today? I would never, and they say, never regret anything because if I would have made a left instead of a right or caught that subway instead of that bus, my life would have been 100% different than it is now. Who would have ever thought this little guy quit school at 17 and got married at 18? And you're going to say, why do you get married at 18? Well, my wife was 16. Now, if you use your judgment, how did you get married? Well, I came home one day, and three months later, I got married. So you know what happened. <laughs> they don't do that nowadays. Now they have... We, we had shotgun weddings yeah, exactly. back in those days. <laughs> I had no idea about being a father. I was 18 chronologically. Maturity-wise, I probably was 16, even though I was in the Air Force. My wife was 16 chronologically. Maturity, she probably was 19. Mm-hmm. She helped. She saved. She waited until I grew up to become a man. I'm telling you, I, didn't, I had to be in my 40s. We, we brought up six children, wow. six children, and we were together for 99, I mean 39 years until she passed. But the idea that I've been lucky, Ali, I've been lucky all my life, that when you look back on my life, to see how I have progressed and how I have evolved. I evolved in, this, in the way my parents brought me up one way, but I, I had to take that detour. You, and when you take that detour, it's like saying, don't touch that hot stove, boy. And guess what? I'm going to touch it. See? But if you touch it twice, you got trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, exactly. If you, yeah. I only touched it once. And, but I did a lot of things in order. Because you don't know. I don't know, Sid. Yeah. I think when you, you touch the stove when you had to eat orange peels in that marathon. <laughs> then you went to New Jersey, and you had to eat more orange peels. No. You touched the stove <laughs> twice right there. But I, I, didn't, I didn't eat in New Jersey, but it was just as bad, though. But, I mean, I didn't get the orange peels. but it, I'm that, just kidding. Saying, no, it was a good analogy, though. It was very good. I, I, it was. I, like, I didn't learn. But it, it took me eight more marathons to learn that this is not your race, Sid. Some people are made, some people run 200 marathons, 300, I don't know, but it wasn't made for me. But I'm, f- I'm happy that I found what I was 
best prepared for? Well, the obvious question that comes to my mind with you saying it wasn't my distance, how right. did you come to terms with that? Because most people will see, oh, you ran a 243. How can you right. say that's not your distance? It's such a good Well, time. it was 246, but you know how, why it was my distance? Because I used to suffer. Yeah. That's why. And I said, man, you got to do all that training? Yeah. And then at the end, you're going to have to, whoa, man, that coming in, coming to um, Columbus Circle, what a... Man, that was the greatest feeling in the world. Please just let me get and and fifth and and uh, believe me, Central Park South, those little hills was like mountains. It's hilly. It was like <laughs> man, that's what made me say, Sid, don't do no more. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I that can was it. That. Uh, does athleticism run in your family? Are your siblings and or no, children? No, no, not even my and my kids. I used to take them to run five miles before I started running and I just give them a dollar a mile. And as soon as I withdrew the money, they start, oh dad, my knee is hurting. Oh my, <laughs> oh my, ch oh my ankle. They wouldn't do it. They all ran one year in high school and quit. So none of them followed me. None of them. I had nobody to follow in my family. Interesting. You know? Yeah, so, and I have, there was five boys and five girls in my, in my family. And we had no idea. I had no idea that I had that talent. How many world records do you have? I have the five. But I, but the most important one was that the first one. The other ones are relays. But the most important one was, was the 60. But I have about maybe 11 or 12 American records. But the most important record was to me was that when I turned 60. Was that for the mile? That was for the um, 800. For the 800, okay. The 219.4. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So in 2005, you were inducted into the USATF Masters Hall of Fame. How was that? Oh, that was, uh, it was unbelievable because in 2005, I went to Hawaii for the national champion. I won both races. And the, one of the people that is in charge of that says, Sid, I think you might have a chance to be inducted. But, but let me be, reflect, go back. Before any of that happened, 19, uh, I started in uh, 1978. 1986, which is eight years later, I it took me eight years to win my first national championship. So I could tell people, don't give up. Mm -hmm. It took me eight years to win my first of 50. And, and I never stopped from there. But wow. you can't, you, 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 I just tell people, don't give up. And it's never too late, but and, and the most important thing is don't think because you wasn't able to accomplish something this week, next week, next year, whatever, keep, keep at it. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that helped me out tremendously. Chipping away. Did you ever have any big setbacks in your career? Yeah. I think the biggest setback I had was when I, um, I, I, ran, I ran a race that I had to drop out, which that was, to me, I, I don't drop out of races, but when I dropped out of this race, I didn't, I didn't like that. I only dropped out of one track race, and that was, that's, to me, that's a setback. Was that a mile, a mile race? N yeah, that was 1,500. What happened? I, I ran, I, I, I wasn't in really shape to go to the World Championships, which was in Sacramento at that time. And I, I got second in 800, and then 
two days later, they have the 1500. I ran okay for the for the semis and then the finals. I didn't have it, but that was one of my setbacks. But other than that, most of the time I I, I struggled to, to hang in there, even if I wasn't going to win. Mm-hmm. And after that race that you dropped out of, was it hard to bounce back from that mentally? I, I think I kept going mm-hmm. down, down, down. I don't know if it was because of the mental part, which is very important. We don't realize how important it is where we, we, we don't think that how important if something takes you away from your positive thoughts, it, could, it plays a very important role in what you can do or can't. Once you start thinking in terms, can I do it or can I? Once you go there, then you're gonna have a tr- you're gonna have a little difficulty trying to make it work, because you're gonna easily give up. Then mm-hmm. I always tell people, don't give up. But I gave up, and then and I really didn't like that. I never gave up again in another race after that. Wow. Do you consider? Are you hard on yourself? Not really, because. Um, I just try to, to to think that whatever I'm able to accomplish, that's a plus. That's a positive. And once you start getting hard on yourself, it's going to go down. You're going to take yourself down. That's in, you get you start thinking negative at that time. I start thinking, whatever it was meant to be, it's going to be. If you think of it that way, you you cannot be un happy with yourself if you say well well i didn't win the race well don't worry just you have another opportunity to try again but i always try to think that whatever happens god wanted this to happen but if you come back then it's a possibility you could rectify that situation right Mm -hmm. i always try to think of things in terms of also each race is a stepping stone on our path to the next right. race or experience. I mean, you, obviously running in life, it's just similar um, well, it did journey. For, it did for me, and because my first nationals, uh, the first, that particular nationals in, in, uh, was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 86. I won the, I won the mile, then I ran the two mile, and then we, our team, Central Park Track, we won the four by four. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was uh, which very in, no four by eight, so each one led me to something else. But but I I try to think positive about something that's going to lead to something else, and it did. Mm-hmm. I was so happy to win that eighty six that first uh, national championship. Never had no idea that I could win as many as I did, and but it's a different story now as you get older. Yeah, you, you, I think you. What you think is not important as much as it used to be, you know. Yeah. Do you? Where do you house all your awards? Are they in like a cabinet or are they on the wall? No, they in the cabinet. They in the cabinet. They in places, and 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 actually, before I got these track awards, I was I'm I'm probably the only New York Roadrunner to win ten age group awards. Ten. Central, I mean, uh, Fifth Avenue Awards. Wow. And at that time, they had Metropolitan where you could win rings. It was called MAC, M- 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 Metropolitan Athletics Congress. And before, then they had TAC, Tactical Athletic Congress. But I, I won two of those rings there, too. 
So I was not only good in uh, in in track. I was I, once I stopped the marathon, that helped me tremendously because I could run a good. I ran a good half a marathon, a good ten mile. A, a good my my ten miler was fifty six. My half was one fourteen. My five k was sixteen thirty. So I had good once, but I had. That marathons helped me with my endurance. Mm-hmm. I have to give that credit for everything. For it helped me because I had the speed, but I didn't have to. I couldn't hold it. But after doing that marathons, nine of them, that helped me tremendously. That's great, and yeah. that's so valuable to hear, because you know we talk about a lot living in New York. It's very easy to. Mm-hmm have uh, the marathon's a great goal right. but it's it's nice to be reminded that there are other distances to run and that you know different bodies are going to take training differently and right. what might work for someone is a good marathon or maybe they want to do a different someone else wants to do a different distance oh yeah without a doubt but but they should always consider running on dirt the bridle path as opposed to the cement because mm-hmm. there's no there's no longevity in cement yeah, and you could you you could look at the greatest runners in the world, the Africans. The only way they run on cement if you pay them like seventy five thousand to win a uh, marathon. They're not gonna train on no cement. They're gonna train on the trails. They're gonna grass or track, or that's they ain't, they not. And when you see the Ethiopians in Central Park, you're not gonna see them on it. The, they got they got paths and. Oh, not only the bridle path, but they got on that grass. They, they know what to do. Mm-hmm. And most of them train up there in, in um, Van Cortlandt. Van Cortlandt. Oh. Yeah. Yes. But I, I was like everybody else. I ran on those the, the cement just like everybody else until I found out this is, is a better way. Yeah. It's a better way. And, but majority of us still running that cement. Yeah, speaking of the longevity and you know, the the African approach to running on grass and soft. I mean, Bikele at 37 just ran two seconds short of the world record. Two, in, yeah, could you imagine? Amazing. Could you imagine? Two, zero, one, four, one. Yeah. I mean, maybe he would have gotten it if it was a better day. It was very humid. No, but you see, he stayed behind, and he was dealing with three DNF. I mean, did not finish. Yep. And so they was they wrote him off. Yeah. yeah. Yep. They wrote him off, and, and I think if they wrote him off, he had to have some some type of thoughts that can I or can I? And, mm-hmm. and but the first guy helped him out because he yeah. took out it, it was was it Talise? I'm not sure. Legese? Yeah, to, yeah. Mm-hmm. He kept that pace up for but Kelly. Man, what a now he's he's got to be considered the greatest runner that ever lived. Yeah. I don't know who was considered before him. Because he's got the the world record for the 10K mm-hmm. and the 5K, mm-hmm. second in the marathon now, and it's going to be very hard for anybody to break that 5K or 10K time. I know those are incredible yeah. on the track. I mean, he came on Haile's heels right right after Haile mm-hmm. Gebrselassie was finishing, so it's incredible. I'm so happy to it see is. him. How close he got to the world record. Yeah. And, and 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 now it's a possibility. It's yeah. got to be Germany, though. It can't be no New York. Don't come <laughs> over here. I know, exactly. You, be- you better stay away from New York City if you want some fast times. And nobody... What is the the record for New York City? Anyway? 20505 by okay. Jeffrey Mutai in 2011. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. This is great, man. I, I really uh, I appreciate 
what you guys have done for me to give me the opportunity oh, to, yeah. to share my my experiences with you guys. And I, I'm actually sharing it with myself, too. I'm hearing myself. And I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, you, going you through these that. stories. I mean, you really yeah. are a legend. I remember the first time that Stuart Calderwood introduced me to you, and oh, he yeah. gave me the backstory. He's like, this guy is a legend. Yeah. <laughs> and Whatever he says, you do it. And I ran with Stuart when he was... Tell us some stories. Well, this, you know, because we ran that 17 miles together. Yeah, he was mm -hmm. part of that. Yeah. And Stuart said, I th he thought I was the uh, experienced runner because I'm older. I said, Stuart, I've only been running for three months. He, he, I, didn't say that, I didn't say that at that time, but later on, we became really good friends. Mm -hmm. We've been friends now for 41 years. Because 41 years ago, I met him. Mm -hmm. I met him at that uh, running, at the at the, the road runners on, on a 63, 33rd Street. Why? That's how I met him. Mm -hmm. And we've been friends. So you've been with the New York Road Runners for so long. All of these, you yourself are a legend. All these other legends have come, you know, through that organization. Ted Corbett comes to mind. Like, were, right. you, were you friends with him? Or Yeah, I, I knew, I knew uh, but Ted Corbett was never social. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not going to have or have... Like you, it'd be probably difficult for you to get Ted in here to, to talk about his life, as great as a runner he was. Mm -hmm. But he was he was not social. But I knew I knew of him, and I have spoken to him. And he know who I am, and I know who, we we have into we we exchanged pleasantries with each other and talked about what why 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 he should. Uh, be considered, and I'm the one had a lot to do with him getting that bust in uh, the Roadrunners Club. Mm -hmm. I advocated to his son. I advocated to the New York Roadrunners, to Caparazzo and the and the rest of them uh, to get this, get a statue for him, not like a Fred LeBeau because that was paid for out of private donations and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I I wanted to honor take Corbett, and I advocated for him. Through, through the New York Roadrunners, and and that's how I felt good about that when they did have a bus for him there, well deserved for him too. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you about coaching. Um, so you you're coaching with you still coach coach with Central Park Track Club, correct? Yeah, I do every now and then, but I'm uh -huh. mainly I'm coaching. I have my own group that I coach with, but I'm an assistant coach with the New York. I mean, with Central Park Track Club. Um, so when you get all sorts of runners you probably mm -hmm. get people that maybe have never run marathons before people who are more skilled how do you how do you kind of direct people into finding where their sweet spot is because not everyone is a marathoner as we've decided right <laughs> well well you know mainly now my biggest um coaching is with the with the team for kids mm -hmm. and with team for kids yeah you're going to find That's advanced right. And you're going to find conservative. Mm -hmm. It sounds better than fast, medium, slow. I, I, I like it that way. Yeah. And I always try to, to find out and let people know this is you you you, you cannot judge yourself. And and when you see, and the way you could tell how, let them run five kilometer race, not a race, but let them run, and then everybody's going to find themselves what group they belong to. They're going to find it more so than you. And I always like to say start in the conservative, then you can move up in event and to the to intermediate. And then if you you 
it's better that you start up and then work down. Mm-hmm. That is depressing for you. That's negative for your head right. as well. Right. So this is what I, I try, how to try to find people. Start slow and work your way up. And I think that is so, that's better for them in terms of they, they having confidence, you know, not tearing their confidence down and whatever. Because if you, you start out fast and then you have to move down, you don't feel too good about that. Yeah. And that's what I'd rather see them go from low to high or conservative to advanced, if that's possible. Yeah, there's a nice progression that happens if you do it patiently, I think. Yeah, but we, you got to remember, runners don't have common sense. <laughs> so, you know. Circling back to that. One of my favorite interactions, I'll tell the story now, it was not that long ago. Ali and I saw you at the track at Riverbank right. um, the Tuesday before Fifth Avenue Mile, and you said, oh, hey, you're getting ready yeah. for Fifth Avenue. And I was right. explaining to you that I have this injury and I wasn't right. sure. And, and you looked at me, you paused, and you said, yeah. Well, you are not a runner. <laughs> I said, excuse me. He said, you are exhibiting too much common sense. Yeah, right. That's right. Right. And, and it made me laugh so hard. If, if you're a runner, there's no way you're going to make uh, a common sense decision. No. 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 I love that. No. You can't, you, you, can't ha- you can't be both. You can't be a runner and have common sense. So at the end of our episodes, I mean, you've given us so many wonderful golden tips, but mm. we kind of formally ask our guests to offer a training tip to our listeners if you have something to to share with our our listeners about you know just yeah. a, a training tip well, <laughs> well you know i already probably said it the, the most important thing is trying to stay on soft surfaces if you can and if you could if you could train on soft surfaces could be the track grass or especially the new york runners um the bridle path, and if you could possibly, if there's any way possible that you could get at least minimum two hill works out a month, just two. And it don't have to be, uh, you don't want to, your hill workout should be 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and 30 seconds, all out. But the 20 seconds and 30 seconds should be you walk down. The 10 seconds you come, you run down and run back up. And you'd be surprised, even by running these distances, I mean, running those hill workers like that, all you're doing is, is, is helping you with your speed without tiring you out. That's the most important thing That's, that, I, that I like. I like that 10, 20, 30 hill workout. Yeah. I think, it, to me, is the, the people that I coach, they like it as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds doable as well. It doesn't sound yeah. as scary as, oh, 800 meters up a hill. Right. Ahead. right. So there's a lot of strength and speed disguised yeah. in that. It is, you know. right, without a doubt. Because you, all you're doing, this is like a VO2 max workout, believe it, even though you're not on the track. But it's teaching your body how to run even when you're not recovered. Right. Yeah. And I know that it's also good. I'm coming out of an injury, so I know that, like, hills is the next step right. before I get onto the track again. Right. So, you know, this is how I look. Even if you run, even if you run like, a um, six-mile easy run, you should throw eight and ten second hills in. Just throw it. Only if it's maybe five or six of them. In, in that six mile, just find a little hill. Run eight seconds, ten seconds. That's it. Get back into your uh, easy run. And you'll see, because all you're doing is changing your, your, your cadence. That's yeah. all you're doing. 
That's great. I love that tip. Yeah. That's very yeah. creative and fun. It's smart lucky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's going to help you. You're going to say, yeah, I got that. I'm mean, ready to go. You go. And it, it, it also will help you in the race, too, if you have to. A lot of those races come down to like eight or ten seconds. Yeah, too. it's true. We were sharing earlier about having the speed but not having the endurance. Right. So I just experienced that last weekend at the Bronx. Right. I was going into it, like, knowing I've been out for a year, basically, mm -hmm. and didn't really know where starting out too fast is. Anyway, long right. story short, we went out the first two miles, 6.37 pace. Wow. And then it, before the 5K, I wanted to stop. <laughs> so, well, good, but you don't I know what you know until you know it. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we said yeah. afterwards. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt. You can't learn if you do it right. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing you could ever benefit from if you do it right. Yeah. It's necessary for you to do it wrong in order to know what to do in order to make it right. That's so yeah. true. If I love that. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. That's we can't be perfect. It's no. not. No. no. Was, yeah, I was just inspired. You know, it's really brave to go to the start line after a year for a 10-mile race and say, okay, let's start uh, there uh, and see what happens. Uh, yeah. Was, it's so inspiring in and of itself. <laughs> it is. <laughs> we it were is. joking because we got sent a photograph later in the day yeah. of us running with, you know, John Hunter Camp. I know him very well. Very nice guy. Nice and guy. very fast. <laughs> so I was saying exhibit A of going out too fast right. is we are running with John Hunter Camp. And John Hunter Camp, I think, broke the four-minute mile when he was in college. Yeah. He broke four minutes for a mile. Yeah. Nice he, guy, though. He's a lovely, lovely nice guy. Group. He got a nice group that he coaches, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's very giving too. Thank you so much for giving us so much time and so much wonderful experience. You're <laughs> so a hero. Great. Thank you so much, Sid. No, man. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate the fact that you took the time to even ask me. I feel honored to be here. Thank you. Honor's all ours. We'll see you at Riverbank. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next right. Tuesday. Thanks, listeners. See you in two weeks. Tuesday.